Stop calling yourself an investor if you've been investing in the last six or nine months and you're in a quarter wave on your way up. I'm happy for you. If that has changed the trajectory of your family's life, I want that because I want my people to get out of the, the desperation and the need of money. Because once you have enough money to eat and you know where your next meal is coming from, your mindset thinks a little different. But you have to be doing something a little bit longer to call yourself something. Stop throwing titles just for the sake of titles. You're not an investor. You're not a guru. You're not an expert. You know, everyone's a genius right now. And everyone thinks they did a genius because there's this old saying of, you know, when it's blood in the street, that's the time to make money. The market was in the dumps for, yes, a good two weeks in March. That was it. <laughs> a shot. It ain't been that dire in nine months. Hi, everyone. I'm your best friend back in town again. Tweet Talk episode 78. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you in part by investattheteam.com. We have created the official merch of generational wealth. You have to shift your mindset from employee to you can't fire me the boss. Always remember, no sacrifice, no reward. Hood Estates, exclusive collection available at investattheteam.com. Now back to the world's greatest podcast. Are we on the air, Tweet What it sounds like to be the best. This is a Black Wealth Podcast. Yes. Build wealth, invest, own, and close the wealth gap. It's time to break down these financial concepts with your host, Mr. Todd Millionaire himself, Charles Oglesby, and Raphael Husband. I feel like, I feel like Soldier Boy want to pull out the Draco. Like, you ever see the, the video and Soldier Boy is telling the story to Home Invasion? He's like, bah, bah. They was coming at me, bah, bah. Anyway. <laughs> no, I did see that. I do, I totally saw that, and I be thinking like, bro, like he is very funny. But I did see that. That's what. He, <laughs> and now it's like a whole meme. Right. All right. So it's Tweet Talk, the Black Velvet Podcast. Your regular host, Raphael Husbands, and this episode we don't have our regular co-host Charles Oglesby, aka Todd Millionaire, because Charles is on hiatus from recording until 2021 taking a little breather so it's just me tonight for the regular suspects and uh well you can still follow us on twitter follow myself Raphael, at work money life on twitter and follow my co-host charles on twitter at todd business underscore and tonight i have a special guest multiple multiple guests alumni whatever you want to call them jamal vitos former vp of the todd capital stock investment club and now podcaster of the culture's money podcast my guy jamal welcome back well uh, i'm always happy to be here with y'all and while you were saying um <laughs> uh, chuck's taking a um hiatus i'm like Yo, he had a banger 2020. Let him let him get them last couple of weeks off on vacation. Right. I, I know I know nobody personally who had a better 2020 than uh than Charles, aka Todd Millionaire. That is true, man. And this just think of some of the stuff he's did, and like this is just like the tip of the iceberg, tip of the iceberg. It is, it is. It's he, funny that I'm here with you right now because him and I were actually in a clubhouse room earlier. Oh, yeah, I did see that. I saw you tweet about that earlier. But Charles had a very good year. I mean, he put out the 
the options traded course. I mean, actually, I think you put up the options traded course in 2019, but in 2020, when COVID hit and the shutdown hit, the course went bananas. It blew up. Was, the course went viral. The course <laughs> went went viral. viral. I think, <laughs> Charles, I mean, I won't say it's all Charles, but Charles had a big part of making options trading hugely popular in the black community. I think not single-handedly. I want to say that. I won't go that far, but I think he had a big part in... No, he definitely was. He was one of the main curators. And I'll say this, his course connected other people. And that's the beautiful part about when people are, you know, entrepreneurship is always... Is always trendy right now, but you know, I like the fundamentals of it. Charles's course did us gave people a service by giving them knowledge they didn't have. And the beautiful part about it, the course took him out of it because it created the community where he became less of a focal point and the people became their own sounding boards off of what he was feeding them. While while him giving them information, him telling them what he was doing. The community did not stop and end with him, right, right. which is which is always great because your, your your product, anything, any product that you sell, people should always be. It should start with you, but it should be able to roll without you. Right, like right. I don't know if you grew up in um, in black churches like I did, but I know some churches like if the pastor leave for a vacation one week, people will not come to service because the church is built around him. <laughs> As opposed with Charles, it was like. Whether he's in the slack or not, they still talking options. They still talking plays. Right. They still talking strategy, and that's the beauty of it. For real. Yeah, because he was smart. Because he kind of like handed off. He kind of like handed off the ball to like admins and and let other people shine. Because at first, mm-hmm. it, I think it was all about what do you think, Charles? What are your ideas, Charles? What trades are you gonna do, Charles? And then he was like, man, it can't be all about me. And he grew, <laughs> he grew that options community and yeah. other people. He people would there's a whole like community like people uh, eating off the options course that that created like a whole what's economy mm-hmm. around around that one course because people that are in the in the community group they created their own complementary courses they have their own social medias talking about options trading and their, their little spin their little corner you know everybody's showing, teaching how to do analysis how to do this their little corner their little strategies or whatever they they, they parlay in off that you know it's not that just- course is a representation of you know that whole saying if you give a man a fish he'll eat for a day if you teach a man a fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. He, because of just, instead of just giving them the fish, he gave them the information and people adapted it to what it fit them. Because the beautiful part about investing, and I think this is where people kind of get lost. They, they get lost. They lose the forest for the trees. They'll, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Like, how do you do that? That works for me. I've been investing 12 years, 12 years personally, five years professionally, a lot of mine has to do with analysis. I've gotten into lately the last couple of years. Now it's a feel like I've been investing so much. Like now it's instincts. When I see something that I'm like, I'm going to drop that. No, I'm going to buy this year because I like the way it moves. That works for me. Doesn't mean it's going to work for 10,000 other people. That works for me. Some people may be able to develop my same type of strategy, but it's not a one size fit all. And when you're giving people investing or even financial information, it's always keen to give them ingredients and cores, but let them pivot to what fits them. Yeah, man. So he had the options course that blew up. And then on top of that, it got him in in Forbes. Yo, that was was so big. My guy got in Forbes. 
Give him a good mention. Give him a nice mention there in, in the Robin Hood story. His picture was in there and everything. I mean, my guy made it big. My man, my man made it. He made it big. He had a baby this year. Bought a came a father. Bought a house. Bought a house. Had like a half million dollar house where he wanted it. Had it built from the ground up. You know, what I'm saying doing big things. In fact, bought a truck like a month ago or a couple weeks. He's gotten into the he's gotten into the trucking sector. Yeah. That 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 is the Charles is the definition of when you start making money, you buy more money, income producing assets. Because you're not, you know, you're not. I don't want to say you're not satisfied, but you want to make sure that the money that you've made isn't the only money that you have. You need to re, you need to duplicate it and replicate it. Like, okay, mm-hmm. I made a million dollars. Now I need to make two million dollars. Right. Now I need to make that two turn into four and flow on and so on. And that's and, and that's the mindset of it and everything like that. And he, he's doing well, like investing for his son. His son can't even talk. Like he has an <laughs> investment. He has an investment, um, an investment account for his son, which is what we all should aspire to be. Don't wait for your kids to be older, like, as soon as they born, as soon as they got a social security number, make that happen. Right, 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 right. Like, um, I, I mentioned this sometimes, and I don't really want to necessarily promote this company, but I just like something about this company called Stockpile, where you can buy, you can buy stock for yourself. I don't use it to buy stock for myself, but I like it for they can let you open as custodial accounts. I open some custodial accounts for my kids to stockpile. I don't invest for myself to stockpile, but I use it for my kids. But whatever what really got my attention was that they have gift cards for stock and they even have physical gift cards. That's what really made me them stand up for me. So you could go to a kid's birthday party and you bring you could bring the toys and also bring them like a $20 gift card, physical gift card for stock for that kid, man. And I really like that. I I, I did that for a friend of mine. You know, I got, got and and that, and that shouldn't be taboo. I know people always talk about all right, come on, y'all doing too much. What does a four-year-old need with a with a, a stock or a bond or a, you know a, a, a money market? You know, no, they need to know what that for. We need to stop no, stop normalizing you learning about financial literacy and personal finance at twenty years old. You too late, bro. You behind the game. Man, now you say that, man. I first start. I first started my journey into personal finance when I was probably twenty three or so. When I was already, I got married, had a kid. And I started thinking, like, man, I gotta figure out this money stuff, man. Like, it, it creates a anxiety and sense of urgency and survival instinct that you really shouldn't have because when you're moving on survival instead of purpose and implementation and execution. You're more prone to take whatever looks like a quick exit or mm. a quick result because not necessarily saying this is you, but you got a wife and you got a kid. You're trying to provide. So anything that looks quick is what you, you look what you're trying to do. It, it's funny. I think about it. I was on this clubhouse um, thing last night where I should have been asleep. It's like three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and they were talking about and they were having a conversation about artist signing and uh, Meek Mills was talking about um, and some other artists got up was talking about how T.I. and Meek was offering people $20,000 to sign. And people were like, what? Like, what? that's not going to change my life and all that. And Meek was saying, bro, I'm giving you 20 grand so you could go make some hit records. So if you get two, three million streams, you don't owe me a million dollars. Because if I 
Because if I give you more up front, you got to do and achieve so much on the back end for me to recoup that before uh, you even start saying profit. And that's, and that's why I kind of see with the financial literacy is like, if you start late, people have this sense of urgency that they have to achieve so much to make up for that 15 years of lack of knowledge that you're trying to achieve so much so fast, mm. which puts mm-hmm. people in this pandemic, you know, like I call this, this microwave mentality. It's like, because I was poor so long, now that I didn't learn a small midget of financial literacy, I'm trying to achieve so much. Everybody's trying to hit 4,000 returns on one trade. Whoa, bro, learn to turn $10 into a hundred first and yeah. then turn that 100 into 130. Like, and I, I always say this thing on, on Twitter and I mean it, I know it's catchy and people think it, the blessing is in the micro. Learn the micro steps first. And when the macro comes, that, mac- that macro is going to be exponential. You're going to achieve on such a macro level because you were doing the small things. You were doing those data steps, those those gathering information, those constant trades. Like, and, and, that, and I'm just not talking about investing. I'm talking about credit repair. I'm talking about business credit. I'm talking about getting into real estate. People try to do the big deal off top because that's what's being sold to them. Somebody, they, they, they run across somebody's Instagram, got 20,000 followers doing 500 uh, check wholesale deals. But bro, homeboy was doing wholesale, making two, $300 profits for five years before you found his Instagram. <laughs> right. what, what, y'all, what y'all's um, say on one, on, I think it was the last episode I was on. He was like, people trying to replicate what I'm doing now. No, to get where I'm at now, you got to replicate the old shit. Do, right. do the stuff we was doing. Do the stuff we was doing in the in marketing and uh, investment club when nobody was paying monthly dues and we were doing it for free and yeah. replicate that before right. you come and try to replicate a million dollar deal. That's, that's the equivalent of Charles. I see his, um, his feed some days he's having $20,000 days on returns just on the investment he got. And people are like, oh, I'm trying to be like that. Yo, do the old shit he was doing. Do the micro shit he was doing. The three, four, five years ago, we were just tweeting about financial literacy. Do that. Do the homework mm-hmm. before you start trying to get to the macro levels. Yeah. And just to go back real quick on the whole meat meal thing. That's interesting that you said that because I actually was caught a clip. I was watching a, uh, one of these interviews with this guy. I never heard him before. I watched his interview. Uh, Poundside Pop or something from Philly. And he was talking about the whole, the whole point of the room. But go in. Right. And he was saying that, you know, the reason he didn't he didn't sign with Meek Mill, even though they were cool at first, he was like, this guy was he, he offered me like 10, 20,000 to sign with him. He's like, I can't feed my people with that. He's like, we good. But no, nah, I can't. I can't take that. And I was thinking to myself, like 20,000. What kind of deal is that? But now you now you say it, then you put it in that light. It's like, but think, but think about it this way. OK, Okia for Shades is the premier choice for sunglasses. Top quality, unique, signature, fresh, trendy. 
our shades provide significant UV light protection for eyes, and we have the best customer service around. The freshest and trendiest styles for both men and women. The finest shades to fit your style. Okiefa Shades is the premier choice for sunglasses. Visit www.okiefashades.com. That's O-K-I-Y-E-F-A Shades.com. Or on IG or Facebook at Okiefa Shades. Or on Twitter at DJ Ebrock. And to go about what he was saying, oh, I can't feed my people with that. Let's take an, an instance of an NFL player, not the first and second round picks. Let's go to the third and fourth round picks who really don't get the fat signing bonuses and everything like that. But if you did, let's go with the first round picks. So you are first round pick. Let's say you get picked uh, 15th overall. So you're going to get a nice size check. Let's say your, your four year rookie deal out of the first round with a five year option. Call it 24 mil. Your first signing bonus, you're going to get up front, call it $4 million, you pay your, you know, your taxes, your attorney, your agent. Let's say you made a cool two mil off that. Bro, you shouldn't be feeding your family off that either. You need to be, <laughs> you should be, no, seriously, you should be structuring yourself for the second contract. You should be worried about fitness, worried about health, worried about getting your position for that second contract and sponsorships because that's where you're going to eat. Right. That's where the generational wealth is, those second and third contracts. And I'm trying to bring it home to homeboy. It's like, I can't feed my family on this. You're not supposed to, bro. That 20 grand is supposed to put you in position where you elevate your stature, where you can feed your family. Whereas like Charles talks about all the time, like the business that he's built feeds his mom's business. His mm -hmm. wife's business, his mm -hmm. brothers, like, but that didn't happen. If he had tried to monetize the investment club from four years ago to try to feed the family, that wouldn't have worked. Mm. But because he waited and put in the work and did the micro, I mean, the, the micro work, now he's feeding them off macro results. Now everybody's eating. That's a, that I, I have to like kill this mindset of instant gratification. There, there are going to be wins in the beginning. Sure. If you happen to hit a grand slam on some of these early wins, bro, I'm happy for you. But my research and professional experience tells me those are few and far in between. And so most of us do it in a gradual level. So if you get out of this instantaneous mindset of, oh, and I'm sure the pound sign guy, he probably feels like, oh, y'all, I've been in the street five years, you know, doing the underground and everything. People know me in these streets. OK, the industry don't know you. You still got to get these first contracts. You still got to build that rapport. And mm -hmm. that's why and that's why I feel like as big as streaming is like people, you know, streaming gave indie artists the capable, the capacity and capability to feed their families. You know, you get paid a percentage off each stream. But as quiet as it's kept, you ain't a superstar. You ain't big in music. And to these radios station in these cars, putting your music in rotation. Despite what people say, the record companies are dead. But these radio stations are alive and well. And if you ain't getting played in these cars, bro, you ain't big yet. So you still need to do that work. Yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. And um, one thing that's funny though is he actually hasn't even been around that long. He was just like a fluke. Like he put out like one song and it blew up, and it, he's got some momentum from there. And then he he's only been rapping for like I don't even know, maybe two years or something like that. Something. Like that. Anyway, contrast that. Contrast that with uh, what's his name? T Pain. Mm -hmm. 
right before I watched that Pound Side Pop interview, I saw a clip with Acom with T Pain saying that he was getting offers from labels, and a couple of them were kind of big. And then Acon came along and said, "Listen, I can offer you twenty thousand, which ain't a lot of money, but I can show you how to be an artist and have a long career. I can show you, I can show you how to have longevity." Mm -hmm. And he said he he went with this guy right away. Like, forget that two million deal, two million dollar deal or whatever he was gonna get from the record label. He's like the way they was just looking at me as another asset or whatever, you know. I probably would have gone there and, and be a, a write-off or something. You never know. If he didn't pop right away, they probably would have wrote him off, like on their taxes or something. You know, he said it's to the point that he, he practically ran away from home because his father was gonna be so bad, he just left left home and took the deal. And look where his, his career went. Blew a lot of money, but you know his name and he made a lot of money. Yes, and, and he has a long, and, and and because he took that deal, most people don't know, T-Pain is one of the greatest producers of the last decade. Like, he's on a lot of these hits that people wouldn't know. Why? Because he's not loud. He doesn't have to be boisterous. Like, he does the work, and he'd rather catch a check than get adoration. Like, I tell people all the time, I don't want to be famous. I want to be powerful and rich. Like, it's cool. I don't get to be no. Like, people be... I don't need people to like I got a podcast like you. If nothing but 70 people listen per episode, but I got seven figures in a in a bank account, okay. That's cool. That's cool. I'm good with that. Like I, I don't I don't need the 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 public adoration. Like when you do the work, the benefits come. And I know we're gonna get into subjects in, in a minute, but that that's the mentality that needs to be driven home. The community is making a lot of money now, but some of that's fast money, not to hurt anyone's feelings. Some of y'all getting lucky and catching a wave. Mm -hmm. And if I'm gonna step on some next really, really quick, real quick. Stop calling yourself an investor if you've been invested in the last six or nine months and you're in a quarter wave on your way up. I'm happy for you. If that has changed the trajectory of your family's life, I want that because I want my people to get out of the, the desperation and the need of money. Because once you have enough money to eat and you know where your next meal is coming from, your mindset thinks a little different. But you have to be doing something a little bit longer to call yourself something. Stop throwing titles just for the sake of titles. You're not an investor. You're not a guru. You're not an expert. You got to get some skin in the game. And for me, who's been doing this for so long, I'm like, you got to go through a couple of seasonal cycles. You got to go through a bear market, a recession, a tightening, a, a great depression. We ain't been there yet. Hopefully we never have to be, but <laughs> you got to go through... It's easy to make money when everyone's making when when everyone's you know everyone's a genius right now and everyone thinks they did a genius because there's this old saying of you know when it's blood in the street that's the time to make money the market was in the dumps for yes a good two weeks in March that was it <laughs> a shot it ain't been that it ain't been that dire in nine months. Mm -hmm. There's there's no there's been no real need for people to strategize or or readjust or pivot. So people gotta ease up because the market hasn't even really settled yet. Oh, let me do this before we go on. Like I'm about to take away your topics. Like, like, like <laughs> so on that note, let's just move on to like a monthly market roundup, you know, stock market. Just give us your thoughts on the stock market. Well, we gonna call it an angel one because it's December 29th. The year's almost over. Yeah, um, right, 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 right. Um, what's still puzzling to me is the S&P bottomed out at 2200 at late March or maybe early April. That was from the record high it just hit maybe a couple of weeks ago. 
a couple of weeks prior, that was a 55% drop. Like to put that in perspective, Black Monday in 1987 only dropped 20% on the dial. The S&P went down 55% in that one span. Like, and since then, that market, the, the indices are currently up 70% from the March lows. Wait, which, which, which month are you talking about again? March. You know, it's... Okay, okay. No, go ahead. What you saying? No, I was just looking at this the stockpile um app yes last night and my oldest son's uh birthday is in March. Mm-hmm. It's like March 31st and I bought him just for symbolic sake $16 worth $17 worth of like VTI just to like to help him remember that $17 17th birthday $17 worth of VTI which is a uh anyway to the index fund and I noticed that I was looking at it last night I was looking at on that date it was pretty much at the year to date lows in March and I wasn't even paying attention I just bought it and I was thinking to myself like hey man I kind of lucked out you know so I bought some more but you know on that day I, I just bought $17 just to make can remember but I was like man I lucked out I wish I had known because I wasn't paying attention I wish I had known that that was like the the low I just said all right get some Vanguard index funds for him and whatever but anyway go ahead no and, and so now the the market's up 70 percent from those March lows and here's the thing about it it is yet to settle and by settling I mean there's still extreme volatility in the market. And people think it's not because, you know, th- just this week, I think the market's, let's call it the last five trading days, the market's been green. I think it might have went down today 68 points, but really nothing. Like 68 when it's been running, so uh, you could call that basically unchanged. Um, and the market is yet to settle. But people keep thinking that it's just going to run into forever. One, we're in the we're in the Santa Claus euphoria, and what what most people don't know what the Santa Claus euphoria is is the market generally every year peaks just after the end of the holiday, and then June and February are very, very you know what I want to call it not recession, but they're they're, they're pullbacks because there's yeah. nothing really going on in that time, and and w- what the market's really waiting on is those earning reports from that holiday spending. Uh, so people start getting anxious. They start getting anxious about how do we do? Should I take the money out? And that type of thing. There's still also uncertainty about, and, and here, here's an interesting thing. Here's the, the backdrop of, of things going on. The Federal Reserve is, is on a weekly basis buying billions of dollars of bonds to keep the interest rates at near zero. We're basically back at, you know, quantitative easing 2.0 12 years later to keep the, the, the interest rate low. And for people who don't know what that means, basically it's uh, the Fed's rate is what, what the banks and by the banks, I mean the commercial banks, your, your usual banks, your Wells Fargo's, your, J.P. Morgan Chase's, your community banks, your Harbor banks, your industrials, all of those, how how they want lend from each other and how they get money from the Fed itself. It's, it, what is it? it's basically like how much uh, the they can charge, like they can how, charge each yeah, other. How, yeah, how much they can charge each other, you know, that trickles down to us in regards to credit cards and all that. Mm-hmm. So what that does is when the Fed buys so much treasury bills, the interest rates are low. So now it, it entices not only companies to borrow cheap because, yo, I can get money for basically nothing, almost mm-hmm. negative. It also entices consumers to borrow money. Mm-hmm. But eventually some of that money is going to have to be paid back and these interest rates aren't going to be low forever. 
but it also puts a lot of liquidity in the mark in the financial markets. On the flip side of this, people were yelling about McConnell not passing the $2,000 increase in the stimulus bill today. And not saying people don't need help. I can tell you what the Republicans' physical policy on it is, is, okay, if we approve this, how are we funding it? Are we either going to borrow more money from China or are we going to print more money? Neither one is a, a, is a attractive option because you borrow more money from China. They already have like a trillion and a half of our notes. We, we're basically in debt to China. They own our money's milk. Or if we print money, it makes the U.S. dollar less valuable because now it's more money in circulation. And people don't, they'll say, oh, I don't care right now because I got to feed my family, I got to pay my rent. Cool. But in 18 months, two years, it's going to be a big problem. Probably even sooner than that. There's two, and I say all that to say there's too many moving parts for anyone to actually say, oh, I know what's going on in the market. We don't even know what the last year was like because we still have to wait for the market to settle for any thorough analysis to be done. Like I'm a financial analysis. And when I look at these charts, I honestly, I'm going to tell you, I have no idea what the hell I'm looking at because I don't know what the market's doing right now. And, and of course, I'm being facetious a little bit like I can see the actions that is taken, but there is no historical reference for this moment. There's an old there's an old saying that says, always remember in times like this, that there's always been times like this. Yeah. Folks, I'm telling you, there's never been a time like this in the stock market ever. Meaning how so? Like the, even even the pandemic in 1918, the Fed didn't exist to prop up the market. Remember, the Fed didn't come into existence until after the Great Depression. This was one of right. FDR's great things, the Great Deal. There was no Fed to prop up the market to save the banks. You remember, they, there was a run like it, that. That after you know people started dying and the market started focusing on financial markets again, there was a steep depression. Well, not steep depression, but a steep drop. In the market in years 1919, 1920 into 21, like the market was in a crutch for a good while. And it was only in the gashes that it took to kind of recover only exacerbated, which would cause the, the, the crash of 1929. So these maneuvers that policymakers make in the short term to save people immediate suffering uh-huh. does nothing but delay the inevitable. Right. Because eventually that bill comes due one way or another. We don't, we're not even sure exactly the ramification for the commercial real estate market because technically people aren't, aren't open to go back to work. But we don't know what's going to happen. These companies might decide it's too expensive to hold these leases. We didn't pay a, a year's worth of lease. Nobody been in the building. Wow. And my work has been working productively from home. Right, right. So right. I, I say all that is like the outlook for 2020 is very strange. Uh, for 2020 is very strange. But I will say in 2021, as this vaccination starts to work, as this vaccination starts to work through, couple of things are going to happen. So you think your sneakers look good, huh? Check this out. <laughs> Even the most exclusive sneakers once purchased look identical to everybody else's sneakers. Can I get a holla holla? So how do you take your boring regular sneakers and convert them to unique dynamic sneakers that will stand out? Yo, that answer is easy. You need to g- g- get laced. 
with Get Lace Shoelaces. Yes, yeah, Get Lace is a lifestyle shoelace retailer dedicated to inspiring customers through a unique combination of products, creativity, and cultural understanding. We just want you to upgrade your sneakers. So get laced. Visit GetLacedLaces.com or check us out on Instagram at GetLaced.com. Underscore. Upgrade your sneakers with a black-owned business that provides international shipping, wholesale, custom, and fundraising options. Upgrade them sneakers, baby. Use a genius, man. Get yours today at GetLaceLaces.com. Premium sneakers need premium laces. The industrial stocks, and when I say industrial, I'm talking about your Caterpillars, your Eastons, um, those type of companies, they're going to have a recovery because those are old, old guard type of stocks that were really hampered during this lockdown. Caterpillar is built on like farming and industrial things. Wasn't a lot of that going on in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, your defensive plays are going to, are going to see a, some of the value that was propped up in them taken away. And when I say defensive plays, I'm talking about your Clorox, your Clembury Clarks, your General Mills, like those things that people were buying because they had to eat. They were they were buying bleach out of the out of the wazoo because <laughs> Trump told them to drink bleach and that was going to turn wrong. I was gonna say the consumer goods, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, the consumer goods. That those are gonna. I won't say they're gonna take a steep hit. But they're going to come. They're going to come back down to the earth. money that yeah, the money that was done that that was done to them is going to come out a little bit because people are going to still want to be chasing those returns. The, the the consumer goods gave returns. I haven't seen them give investors. It has to be twenty five years. They're not too prone on double digit returns, and some of them have given 14 percent. The index itself has given almost ten percent back this year. That's unheard of in those type of things because they're normally just safe haven stocks that pay a dividend. You know, your blue chip stocks that just they don't do too much. They might grow a percent of here over five years, but they're not doing a lot. And another industry that's going to take hold in 2021, I think cannabis is about to see a lot of movement, um, especially with a Democratic president in there. Uh, because deregulation is continuously to move. It still hasn't reached the federal level, but as states start decriminalizing it, the federal government will catch up because despite how America looks now, the states have all the power legislative. And eventually, if the if enough states get to the point where they're decriminalizing, federal government will get around it. I'm not saying it'll happen tomorrow, but the, the, the mill piece legislation pieces will start to come in. And another and here's a here's a spoiler that I want people to know and they'll and they'll mark me on it on this date. What's today's date, uh, Raphael? Uh, 1229. Yep. So 1229, let's say we do a mid-year and and like June. Remember I said this. The financials, the banking stocks are going to have a good year next year because they have been hampered all year by fears from investors that they were going to have the same issue that they had in 2008. Oh, okay. Okay. That's the best thing. issue, the best, the, the, the best lessons that came out of the banks for 20 from the great, the great recession is they were forced to have stressors tests and have more money on their books to cover losses, credit cards, mortgages, that type of thing. So as a result, when this pandemic started, they were, they were well capitalized. Like they could take some hits that really never came. You know, in the early months, it looked like, you know, some companies might teeter and they might have to, you know, bail them out. That really never, you know, surfaced. Like Congress gave these PPEs, you know, uh, 
citizens got, you know, temporary stimulus at that point. And the banks really didn't have to bail anyone out, really. Even even when it came to the mortgages, which are still yet to be, you know, determined, they really haven't, you know, had to handle anything. And some of them, like even the company, my firm that I work for, made $5 billion in profit. Some of them, some of them, because of people, here's, here's a catch-22. The banks made more money on fees if you got because everyone's in the trading now, the banks may combine 30 billion on fees just in the third quarter trading like on the was those, you know, their trading platforms. Yeah, they made 30 billion dollars because more people have been trading because one, they were home uh, and they had more access to it. So so their coffers are set. So they're actually I would say they're in a better position now to let's say the market goes and does what I said it's going to do. January, February are generally bad months, and that leads to a a bearish result. And the market kind of trepidates for the next couple of months and kind of just goes down or stays in a thing. The banks are in a better capitalization to kind of handle that, at least from their standpoint. Right. I'm not saying they're going to be able to save other companies, but they will be able to withstand the financial pressures of if people need loans, if they need to lend and that type of thing, which is where they want to be. Because if the banks are stressed and then the companies themselves are stressed, the mark, the, 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 the financial markets are tightening. You can't find any money. But if the banks have a little money to kind of play, of course, it'll be selective to the big companies you know you won't be a small business owner getting this money from them but your ge's your general motors your apples the money will be there if they need the capitalization now you're saying like this is you were saying um this is not this is nothing like the 2008 recession i'm guessing you mean it kind of like the pandemic was came out of left field nobody could see that coming nobody could really be really be blamed for it Nobody, because with the 2009, with the 2008, 2007, 2008 recession, remember, there were people, there were naysayers years before. The big short, both the movie and the book, is built off someone calling that the subprime mortgage derivatives were a house of cards. Like, that was right, a problem. Right. So someone saw that. A pandemic starting in Southeast Asia, moving <laughs> across the globe. No one sees that. Like, no one's prepared for that. So. Right. There's no historical reference for this. And I know people, they'll reference the 19, the 1918 pandemic. And like I said, the reason it's not the same is basically for the reason that I gave you. The Fed wasn't around then. These social security programs weren't around then. So it's a, to kind of compare it to 1918 is a disservice because they're not even in the same realm. There was nothing to safeguard the market in 1918. Right. Well, let's call it 19... The, the 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 Spanish flu happened in 1918, but the market uh, consequences didn't occur until 1919-1920. But the Fed and all that and the Social Security programs were at least another 20 years away from being built. So it's not the same thing. Right now, we're seeing a lot of social social policy, social and monetary policy prop up the markets, the policies and all that. And that could be a big, no, it's not, could be, it will be a big problem when it all starts to unravel. Another thing no one's talking about, these states are bleeding money. Like they've blown through budgets to, to service a community to deal with the pandemic. The states get their money from the federal government. The federal government has not been giving them extra money to deal with this. States have been blowing through budgets 
to deal with this. And the reason that becomes a problem is because the states fund their, you know, state employees pension funds. That could be a problem. One thing is funny now I'm thinking about it is um, before the pandemic hit, everybody was trying to, like you say, like naysayers were trying to predict what was going to be the catalyst for the next great recession. Was it going to be credit card uh, debt or most likely everybody was talking about student loan debt is going to be the, the big thing that kicks, kicks us over to the next recession. And those problems are still kind of there. I was hoping you were going to say that. <laughs> no one's talking about the fact that when this is over, Americans still owe 1.5 trillion in, you know, 1.2 trillion in credit card debt, 1.6 trillion in student loan debt. So you're about to accompany that with a, a stock market that's overvalued. Let me put it to you in this terms. Even the most lofty tech company on a normal, before this would happen, might have been trading 20 times PE earnings. Mm-hmm. Say, tell, tell us real quick what's PE. <laughs> okay, PE earnings basically, let me put it in layman's terms. Just real quick. PE basically means how uh, the every the amount of money. Uh, let me put it this way: if you own the stock forever, if you own the stock forever, it talks about how many years it would take a company to repay the share price. And in a singular mm-hmm. thing, PE is talking about. How do I put this? I'm sorry, because my fa- my finance lingo is always in my head, so I got to put it in a different term. It's your return for every share that you own. Like how many wh- the the dollar that you get for every share that you own. That's what the key. The forward is how many like the dollar you get for every share that you own. So basically, the return on your investment for every share. If you own ten shares, like how much does the company have to make for you to get a dollar on that share? And PE stands for. Oh, PE stands for. Profit and earning. I'm sorry. Oh, price per earnings. Profit and price per earnings. Share. Thank you. <laughs> I was like profit per <laughs> earnings. No, I think no profit and earnings. I'm right. I'm confusing myself. So profit and earnings. Like all right. So you were saying these company tech companies are usually if you right. Looking- these tech companies are like Tesla is trading a hundred times forward earnings. There's no way in the world it's gonna. It would have Tesla would have to sell two million cars in the span of the next five years to make their share price make sense. Hmm. Unless we all stop buying gas immediately. <laughs> I don't see that happening. I'm glad you said so that. When it, okay, go ahead. Now, and and, and I, that brings us back to, okay, if the stock prices are that inflated and we still have this credit card debt and these student loan debt, commercial, the, the commercial fallout hasn't hasn't even been seen. We're not even talking about the mortgage and rental fallout that has a moratorium on it. Like, let's be serious. There is so much propping the walls up that it could almost be sinking sand. So I, I don't want to be, I, I, I say this not to be a, what is it, doomsday. What I'm telling people is, okay, you made quick money in 2020. Your investing strategy is going to need a pivot in the coming months and years because there are going to be things that are going to fall like dominoes that are going to require you to really strategize. And I'm not talking about watching charts and seeing what's the hottest le- headline in the newspaper. You're going to actually have to strategize where you're going to put your money, which sector, because when one falls, a lot of falls, and there's going to be a big problem. But go ahead, you were about to say something. Oh, yeah. You mentioned Tesla. Um, I, I wanted to ask you before we get off the stock talk, in your opinion, is gas dead? Is oil dead? 
fossil fuels is fossil fuel dead um it is dying it is dying it, it it's not dead yet, but the transition has happened. It, like, all great, all great evolution. And it, the automobile industry is experiencing its own industrial evolution. Like okay. electric cars are coming. Right. Mercedes, uh, BMWs, Ford, and them are are starting to get towards electric. It is coming. Tesla has really Tesla has done for the automobile industry what Robinhood did for the fee industry for investing. It has turned it on its head. Like that's what's happening. So eventually oil will either it will die completely or it will not be as big of a market as it once was. And what that looks like, because if you look, I think it's Shell. Shell is kind of shifting from being a oil company to it's kind of it's becoming an industrial thing. I can't I read an article a couple of weeks ago. Can't remember off the top of my head, but it's shifting some of its business units. So it can be less primarily an oil and gas company. They're moving to some other things. It's not necessarily like electric cars, but they're shifting it to be kind of like an industrial company in some way where I feel like they'll be some type of facilitator of oil and natural gas while doing electric. I would not be, and mark my words, I would not be surprised if those gas pumps at your shells and BP all of a sudden, you'll roll up to them, and one day we just gonna roll up there. It's gonna be electric cars, uh, electric car uh, one in each one, an electric car charging like pump next mm-hmm. to one of the gas stations. And it's, it'll start with one, and then you'll go to a BP and them. Then it's like two and seven regular gas things, and then you'll see half and half. It's like half gas, half charging, and then you'll eventually where it's like one gas pump <laughs> and ten. Electric charging ones, right, right, and, and and that's the and that's the real interesting thing about the oil and gas industry is because okay, everyone's gonna have electric cars or some form of electric cars. What does that look like? Because from my understanding, I may be wrong. It takes an electric car a couple of hours to charge. Ain't nobody pulling up to no BP and charging their car for four or five hours and sitting there. Right. So what does that industry look like? What is the what's the cost going to be? Because, you know, right now we get charged per gallon when you go pump gas. Are you charging people? Is it going to be a flat rate? Is it going to be, you know, uh, will it be different, different uh, uh, pricing for uh, uh, expedient charging, regular charging, blah, blah, blah. Like, how is that going to work? That industry is going to be, it's still developing. It's going to be interesting. You definitely want to own some Tesla. And when it comes to Tesla, here's here's the kick. I'm, I'm going to give you guys a piece of, that I don't hear get talked about when it comes to t- um Electric cars as well as 5G because 5G is a, a is the next transition because we're moving from four what is it four LTE is yeah right internet. Mm-hmm. with te- if Tesla's the big dog in electric cars you want to be buying those EV makers like the battery makers the gel makers and everything like that same thing with 5G don't just buy your T-Mobiles your your Sprint and AT and T Buy the people who are making those those wires and those towers and because that's where the money's gonna be. Everybody's gonna be rushing to the big names. But if you guys are looking for those triple and sometimes four digit percental returns, it's in the the suppliers. Right, right, right. People selling the shovels. Okay. Exactly. I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. I know you wanted to talk about um 
uh, why it's fresh on my mind. I know you wanted to talk about this Oprah thing that we, we yeah. read earlier in the week. Yeah, so we're going to wrap up the stock talk brought to you by Todd Capital uh, Options Training Course. Go to toddcapital.co, get the course, get a bunch of courses, make you some money in 2021. And we're going to move on to the Black Billionaire Banter. So for this episode edition of Black Billionaire Banter, we will talk about a deal that popped up on our radar yesterday. Apparently, Oprah Winfrey has sold uh, about, well, let's start like this. So in 2011, Oprah Winfrey started the OWN network, the Oprah Winfrey network, OWN, in 2011 as a 50-50 deal with the Discovery Network. And she took over the Discovery Health Channel. They rebranded it as the, the Oprah Winfrey Network. Uh, Discovery put in like $100 million in funding, I believe, into the deal. And Oprah slash Harpo Studios with 50-50 owners with Discovery. And then in 2017, Discovery put up another, gave for about $70 million for the, an additional between- Buyout. Yeah, between 23, 25% more of the company. So they were up to about 74, 75% of the company ownership. And yesterday we heard about a deal where Oprah sold like another 20% or so to where Discovery owns 95% of the Oprah Winfrey network. And they paid her in all in stock, roughly worth about roughly 36, $37 million. Very interesting. And, and I got to give you credit because you this to my attention i had not heard anything about this um and it's interesting because initially when you told me about it i was like wait she sold harpo studios but no this is harpo's interest in own and i just feel like it's yet again i'm not sure her reasoning maybe that was always her intention to sell out financially and only be because i think she's supposed to be chief creative marketing or chief content uh, officer or something like that yeah, I think she's still CEO. But, but my thing with it is, it's like, I, I know you see me tweet it all the time. I want black companies to sell to other black companies. Mm-hmm. Like we need our own black right. conglomerate, conglomerates because own is supposed to be what we look to, to tell our stories and our narratives. Like I know she has Tyler Perry on there telling stories, at least from some, some vantage point of our life, our culture and the things that we go through. Mm-hmm. But when you sell the controlling stake for cash or, you know, reward, I feel like eventually you lose the ability to affect change or call the shots. I don't care if you are the CEO. Right, right. Discovery owns the company now. Right, 95%. Like if they, right, if, if they say they don't want it or they don't like what you're doing, like you are an employee. Even though Oprah owns her own studio, she can produce content on any network she wants. And this may be a mute point because I may be... Well, actually, they have like an exclusive agreement when she started uh, the Oprah Winfrey Network. Where she so she can't in- produce uh, produce stuff anywhere else? It was supposed to be exclusive, but apparently though, she, she did sign some kind of deal with Apple TV in 2018 to where she could produce some kind of content for Apple TV. So, yeah, I think I've seen that some some of the episodes were like our talk show, and they, I think it was like a talk show. I don't think it's like original content. Gotcha. So I, I'm not sure how that works. But see, here, here lines like it's an occlusive thing. So now she can't even move. You know, in in an age of streaming where you know Apple and Netflix and Disney Plus gives you so many platforms, maybe 
us having our own network isn't that big of a deal. But no, I'm I'm gonna walk that back. It still is a big deal because we're, our stories are still because the narrative, especially in the media, in the media uh, purview, it is always slanted in a way that they want to portray us. Uh, case in point, BET. BET is constantly missing the mark. Why? Because it ain't a black cable station that is owned by Viacom. Mm-hmm. I don't care if the title of it is Black Entertainment TV. Y'all ain't entertaining nobody black in the culture. There's <laughs> <laughs> only so many Martin reruns and Bad Boy reruns we can watch. Like my my personal opinion, if if BET ever asked me, BET should have its own version of Bloomberg Business or CNBC. Right. Right. All the entrepreneurial things going on. Like BET should literally have a reality show where they go around interviewing or spending a week or a month with entrepreneurs and seeing what they're going through or or, or telling their stories or or whatever. Or um, I think um, John Henry, if you know who John Henry is, he had a, a show on Vice where he went around and kind of mm-hmm. uh, kind of did like a mentorship with like hustle. entrepreneurs and hustle. Exactly. That should have been a BET thing. Black businesses. That should have right. been a BET thing. Right. And with Oprah selling selling the, you know, well, she she hasn't had controlling interest since 2017, from what you just said. It just means that it'll be another show that's uh, another channel that's showing skin folk like material, but not kin folk like, you know, content. And I'm not I'm not here to count people's pockets. I know people always say, oh, you counting people's pockets. No, I'm not. Count- I just feel like as Charles would always say, like, is what you're doing, is it just best for you or is it best for the community and your family? Right, right. And Oprah, you've made, you're a billionaire. I don't particularly, you know, between what you told me, the two deals, she sold the controlling interest for $106 million. Oprah, last time I checked, you were worth $3 billion. You don't need that money, sis. Right. I'm not, I would have, I, I would have much rather you kept the, the 50-50 partnership and has some say so in our stories being told, then you take in, you know, the money. But again, I can't tell people how to structure their business deals. And probably also, um, like I don't fully understand the whole logic of it because in 2017 they paid her 70 million, which I believe was cash for about 24, 25% of the company. You know, that that caused Forbes to, to value the company at about 285 million. So now you're getting 36 million or so in stock. Which which can go up and down at any time um, mm-hmm. for another 20%. And that's valuing the company now at 180 million, which means it dropped in value. Not surprisingly, but whatever, you know, that's, that's a pity. Well, she probably, uh, business is about leverage. And she probably, when it came up, this might, uh, again, uh, not knowing the business structure of this deal, this could have been a clause. This could yeah, have it been was a timetable shared. Or, it was right, a clause. So, Apparently, r- real quick, they said even in 2008, when they first were talking, she put in a clause where they would have to, Discovery would have to buy a portion, at least some kind of portion or majority of the company by 2020. Like 2020 was the deadline for them to buy, to do what they actually did. Why she did that? I have no clue. It sounds yeah. like... Uh, and to put it in a in a um, in a terms that some people might understand, it sounds like a naming rights type of deal. You know how yeah. let's let's they, say they name the stadium. Exactly, I was just about to make that like a football, like like Gillette or Lucas Oil in Indianapolis. Like Lucas Oil pays the Indianapolis Colts to put their name on on 
on the stadium. stadium. So when yeah. so how many times when you watching a football game, uh, when the commentary is like, "Oh, we'll be back in Indianapolis at Lucas Oil," or "Welcome back to Lucas Oil Stadium," or "Or I'm in Baltimore, the M&T Bank Stadium," blah blah blah. It sounds like Discovery is paying Oprah to have her name on the channel. That's what they bought. Like the the three initials O W N. That was always the concept. They. It sounds like it, it, I'm just gonna play, you know, uh, uh, Oracle of Delphi and say that when they structured the deal, Oprah was like, "You want my name so people will come and watch because it's associated with me." Right. Let's do a ten year deal. Would you buy me out half in a couple of years and other things? I'll stay on as car, uh, con- chief car content creator and blah mm-hmm. blah blah. And that was always the plan. Right. Again. If that was the plan, I, I, I'm not mad at it. I would have liked to, you know, have another channel that, you know, served us in some way. I yeah. still don't feel like we have a channel that serves us holistically. Like we don't have one that deals with our business, our real culture. And when I say real culture, some of these channels just uh, pivot to one side of the culture and not the whole culture. We, we're, we're not all in a vacuum. There's variety. And so that deals kind of, what it is, but I'm not surprised the value of it's a little less because the viewership is probably down because right. own is probably having to compete with so much original content on Netflix, on, uh, Netflix and all that other stuff. And Disney Plus. The, so the viewership is probably down. So the value of that buyout clause was probably probably um, taking a hit and Oprah probably put a clause in there. It's like, depending on the value of the company, I could take cash or stock. Mm, right. Okay. A okay. good, a good, a good business person gives themselves that option. Kind of like when a see, kind of like a, when a, a joint venture, a, a merger or an acquisition is like, you know, we're joining forces, but I want what's more valuable, the cash right now or the stock of the, you know, the, the combined company. So that's yeah. probably her. That's probably her thing. But I don't. I don't like it. I, I'm still not over. Um, what is it? Suntail or the 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 owner of Shea Moisturizer selling? Uh, I'm still heartbroken about that. Or, Be- uh-huh. or 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 Bevel, the 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 shaver right, and right, the Clippers. Right. I'm still not over that. I don't even. We, I don't even tried it. And then it's like he sold it. I was like, I already want. I'm not right. interested in trying it now. Right. I don't even try to because, yeah, you designed it as a black man. But once they get their hands on it, I don't want it no more. Right. Because I, I want I wanted the exclusive, the exclusive, the exclusivity of, yeah, bevel or black clipper. Yeah. Like, bam. Right. Right. I, I nah, not interested anymore. Not interested anymore. And um, interesting part of the deal. So Oprah gets roughly 1.34 million shares in in Discovery uh, today. That's worth about 26 dollars 69 cents, something like that. Yeah. So it's worth about 36, 37 million dollars. And she already put it up uh, like 670 thousand plus shares up for sale already. That is to cover the taxes on the deal. So whatever that is, you know, just an interesting little state, tidbit. A state, a state planning, bro. A state planning. Oh, and just um, and before we wrap up, here's a, here's a piece of advice that I tweeted earlier in the week, um, but I think doesn't get talked enough because we always talk about insurance and you know people having insurance and estate plan and everything like that. What doesn't get talked about enough is how to avoid probate when people die. Mm-hmm. Probate is very expensive because. If you have a will and all that, that's cool. But even if you have a will, your estate still goes into probate, which right. could cost your heirs 
tens of thousands of dollars, depending on the size of your estate and everything. There are ways to avoid this by one, either gifting some of your assets while living or something that most that doesn't get talked about enough, creating a living revocable trust and making your heirs uh, account holders with you. Mm -hmm. Because what happens simply is when you die, since they're still account holders, instead of being 50% or whatever, however you break it down, now they're full-blown full, they're full blown account holders. And that's how you avoid probate and get away with, you know, having to pay some of uh, those fees and everything like that. Because they're already owners, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that's how you that's how you avoid that poison pill we like to call the death tax. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's what they call the death tax. Well, we gotta think bigger. 2021, folks. And I know the people that listen to this podcast, some of you are already thinking big. You're already moving big. Let's think even bigger in 2021. Uh, you know, we're gonna wrap this up. It was a good one. Our special guest, Jamal Bitos. You know, shout out to our sponsors, OKF Shades, and also get lace laces and my daughter's company, Pure Body Company, uh, for your natural body care. And shout out to those brothers because OKF Shades and and get lace laces were my first two guests on a new series that we started on instagram instagram live instagram tv whatever you want to call it called birth of a brand where i'm interviewing business owners to talk about how they got started with their brands and just to give you guys some inspiration for those of you who might be thinking of starting your own business get the inspiration of how they started with very small they didn't start with hundreds of thousands of dollars they started with small things and started with pre sales and hustling up the trunk and these are normal people and they're just showing you that you can do it too so check out that series on instagram at the tweet talk podcast instagram at tweet talk podcast let's go to the igtv and you can check out the first two episodes i'll be doing a new one tomorrow with sierra l bags um check it out and be sure to follow us on twitter you can follow myself Raphael at work money life follow my co-host charles who's not with us tonight but make sure to follow him on twitter at todd business underscore follow my special guest jamal vitos at leo Graham prince on twitter also on instagram uh no it's jamal no is it no it's leo Graham prince on instagram too <laughs> <laughs> all right so on behalf of myself and Charles, Tweet Talk Podcast and Jamal Vitos. Oh, and be sure to check out Jamal's podcast also, The Culture's Money. Check him out on Anchor and everywhere else you can find podcasts. Charles is actually the, the wrap-up on Thursday by the time you post this. But uh, he's a 2020 finale, so that should be good. So y'all listen to that. All right, so check it out. The Culture's Money with Jamal Vitos. We're going to wrap it up. We look forward to 2021. Peace. This is a fine way to start the new year. Yes, sir. This is your man back again, Donald the Voice. And I am the official editor and podcast producer of the Tweet Talk podcast. And uh, need us, I mean, need I say, need I say, you know, black wealth, Twitter, and social media. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's my swag. That's your boy, man. So I just want to thank you again for tuning in to the Tweet Talk podcast with Raphael Husbands and Charles Oglesby. Happy New Year to you. Also want to make sure that you know, head on over to DonaldTheVoice.com. 
contact tab and let me know how I can serve you this year. Podcast intros, podcast production, video editing, voiceover. That is what I do, and I am happy to serve you. So thank you so much for tuning in. As always, the Tweet Talk Podcast. We'll see you here same time next time. God bless you. Have a phenomenal, phenomenal rest of the day, afternoon, or evening. Holla! This is cause for a celebration.